The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman grew up in a household of strong values, values that centered on public service, integrity, and education. And she found being a lawyer of public policy allowed her to practice all three of these. But by age 42, she had lost both parents and a brother within 18 months. And what she loved doing now all of a sudden had no meaning. She left her high-paying law career without a plan and began to travel the world. And in traveling to foreign places, she saw things that touched her heart. Extreme poverty, children begging, and a 10-year-old boy laboring in the mountains. None of these children were in school, a place she knew they needed to be, and she realized that it was she that needed to make this happen. The School the World organization was born, and through providing education to the extreme poor, to local governments, and to communities, this woman's path to greatness continues to unfold. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Kate Curran. Hi, Thank Kate. You. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Annette, for including me today. I'm excited. We've got a lot of things to cover. So you are doing such important work, and I'm so excited to have you here to share a little bit about it. Now, you are now a very purpose-driven woman. Yes. Not necessarily where you were as an attorney. So no. what do your daily thoughts look like, and how do they keep you focused in spite of distractions and challenges? Oh, great question. My daily thoughts look like, how do we do better? <laughs> they do. They really are. How do we do better? How do we improve our programs? How do we reach more kids? How do we keep happy employees, great, strong, happy employees? How do I keep them? Where are we financially? (laughs) You know, that's like a regular check-in as well, forecasting. We, of course, forecast financially every month. Most of my thoughts every day, tell you the truth. In those thoughts, is there any kind of self-talk that you do to keep yourself motivated and not distracted? What do you say to yourself? on a daily basis? That's a great question. I'm a pretty focused person. So I find I don't really have to do that, to be honest. I have found during the pandemic, I have to get out and walk every day. And to tell you the truth, even during that walk, I think about the problem solving that I need to do. Uh, My brain kind of never stops. That's not always fun. It's kind of a problem. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you can get easily distracted by, but by other problems or other issues or other challenges. And I would love to, sometimes I, everyone recommends meditation to me, but I haven't done it. I haven't taken it up yet, but everyone recommends it to me because they say it shuts off your brain mm-hmm. or it stops all the thoughts. Mm-hmm. So your daily thoughts are all centered around how do I make what I'm working on better? How do I impact more and more people? At least There's- while I'm working. Yeah. So moving on, the saying in Silicon Valley that you and I have certainly heard is fail fast. But you told me that for you, failure is not an option. Now, this way of thinking puts a lot of pressure on you for things to work out. So how do you handle things when they don't go as planned? Well, I first many years, I used to carry so much stress with me. I would be like out of my mind with stress, like the slightest little thing used to make me worry that everything was going to explode. That would be my physical internal reaction. And when things were really bad, I would get on the treadmill and work out like crazy. 
even if it was nine, 10 o'clock at night, I just had to do it. I do hate that saying. I think it's a stupid saying. I think there's something to be said for failure is not an option. It keeps you going. That's what I heard in my head at our most difficult time. It was about a year long. That's what I heard in my head. I just have to get through this. I just have to get, you know, failure is not an option. And I look back and if I hadn't had that kind of grit and perseverance, school the world wouldn't be here today. And today we're serving 11,000 children in the poorest parts of Central America. And even during the pandemic, we were one of the only groups that were still working, trying to provide education to these children while schools were closed by the government. And none of that would have happened if I didn't have that level of, it was kind of instilled in me and not just me, other siblings as well by my father. He was always like, he was the type that would say, Kate, if you got a 98, why didn't you get a hundred? You could have gotten a hundred. You could always do better. Always, always, always do better. And that's, you know, it's a great trait, but it's also tough trait for people who work for you because mm. you're always thinking about what's better, what's next. Um, and you, you have to remember to take time out to celebrate and acknowledge your successes and celebrate with everyone. That didn't come naturally to me. I had to learn to do that because I usually am just moving on. I'm on the next goal as soon as one is hit. I think a lot of people listening can relate to that because, you know, for those women that are very driven, there is no finish line. Right. (laughs) There's a a constantly moving goalpost. Right. And and what's what's next? What's better? What's next? And and you're right. We are very guilty of not celebrating the wins that we have along the way. We give it. It's almost an afterthought for us. Yeah. As opposed to, and so we really need to schedule on our calendars celebrations. Right. Well, I think about it more in terms of the people who work for us, um, celebrating them. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Acknowledging their role. Right. We did it yesterday a little bit because we'll be out for most of next week for Thanksgiving. So Mm -hmm. I really took time yesterday to thank our team to tell them that that's something that I'm giving thanks for during this holiday in the United States. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your father would say to you, talking about your father, let's bring something else he would say to you. He would say, don't just complain, do something. Yeah. Now, this is powerful advice. How do you view complaining and how has this shaped your life journey? Oh, that's really interesting. It was not just my father. It was my father and my mother, Ah. both of them. Honestly, it was less about complaining generally. It was more just if you're upset about something, in the world, in your community, in your state, in your school, do something about it. We, you know, they wanted all of us to be actively engaged, serving others, serving the public, doing something that was bigger than ourselves, not just about us. And they literally would say, it does not matter what it is, but do something, do something. And it was funny because when my father died, you know, he had this huge huge wake and all these people were coming through and this man came through this african-american man and he said i just had to come i hadn't seen your father in 20 years but i had to tell you that your father changed my life um he said when i was 16 martin luther king was killed and your father was walking the streets he was mayor of bridgeport connecticut at the time Uh, he said your father was walking the streets in the projects and he said to me don't just complain do something do something about it. Don't just complain. And he said, that changed my life. 
And I want you to know that today there are three, four awards named after me, meaning him in Bridgeport. And that stayed with me. I honestly can't even picture the man today. And I never got the name. All of us would love to know who this was because we'd like to know more about the story. But um, there was just so many people. But that story just stayed with me. And I thought, what have I done? Yeah, I've been on some boards. I've done some things. But oh, my God, like that is just that was so powerful, that man's story. And that was kind of planted the seed, to tell you the truth, that started germinating. And then when you did your travels, you got more seeds planted, didn't you? Exactly. And that little garden, for sure. Yes. When you had the devastating loss of so many family members in such a short time, you told me that this changed your perspective and that everyday concerns became small. So what did this teach you about life and your desire to control it? Because, you know, we're pretty control freaks as mm-hmm. individuals. Mm-hmm. So what did it teach you? It taught me that success for success is self, its own self. I'm not sure what that saying is, but and money, especially, don't mean much in the end. First of all, when my parents died, the community response, the outpouring was so huge that I mean, there was just no other conclusion that these people led great lives. And I also felt like after losing all three in such a very short period of time, and even the periods in between were extremely difficult because one parent was sick, another parent was sick. It was extremely difficult. I just felt like if I got through that, I can get through anything. If I survive that, I can get through anything. This stuff is just not important to me. Uh, So what? I got to the point of saying, I can't do this job anymore. I just can't do it. I need to do something more meaningful. And it was getting harder and harder to go to work every day. And I, but I realized, who cares if I don't have a job? Yeah, I can leave. I can leave without a job, without a plan. Because who cares? What's the worst that happens? The worst that happens is I have to do something like, I don't know, work at the grocery store and um, make an honest living. There are a lot of worse things in life than just making an honest living. It'll all work out. I do not need to go to Saks every weekend, you know, and spend godly ungodly amounts of money. I don't need two walk-in closets full of beautiful clothes. Um, I don't need all of that. It's really not what is most important to me at the end of the day. I need to do something really meaningful. I need to serve more and I need to figure out what that is. I don't know right now, but I know what I'm doing right now is, is not it for me. And you did figure that out, didn't you? I did. I did, <laughs> yes, fortunately. Did. So let's talk about this, what you figured out. The School of the World is a thriving organization, but there have been and continue to be many challenges. So you must be resilient to keep such a vision alive. How do you stay resilient? <laughs> that is, that's a great question, too. Um, my family is a big source of that. Uh, my family has been extremely supportive of me, my siblings, all of my siblings, my nieces and nephews have, you know, basically all traveled with me to Guatemala and service trips with me. They've all raised money for me. They all give really, really generously. So I'm really lucky to have that. And then we've had some really close supporters, like really deep supporters. When people come, there's nothing like going, you know, my world 
generally had not been connected to people who traveled to places like this. My world was much more conservative group of people. And so I didn't necessarily understand completely when I started doing this. And one of the most common questions I used to get was why not in the United States? But when people go, they're like, oh my gosh, they become really deeply committed to the organization. And that that gives me a lot of resilience to tell you the truth. And my team, I listen to their own personal stories, these men and women in Central America, and they're the first in their families to even get through sixth grade, let alone the university. And what they went through and how they persevered to get to that point, you know, stories about waking up at three in the morning to help their father collect wood and then try to sell it and then walk two hours to school and it's, you know, go to school from one to six and then walk two hours home. You know, I mean, just incredible perseverance that people have. And so that gives me a lot of resilience. And I also get a lot of restoration. So I take time off in the summer. It's my favorite time of year. It like really fills my bucket, so to speak, and go to the beach. And that restores me quite a bit when I get to do that. And one other thing actually is when I try to remember how lucky I am. I remember feeling actually when I started School of the World within the first year, I was just like, how did I get so lucky? I wrote a, a letter for my 25th reunion from college and I put that line in there and I think it blew people away. I was like, I don't have, you know, I yearn for an entry level salary now and I'm sharing a house with my sister. I work at the dining room table by myself and I wake up every morning feeling, how did I get so lucky? There were challenges along the way. Of course. <laughs> I mean, of course. Anything worth having usually is a lot of challenges. Huge, huge challenges. So, All right. So I'm going to move to the next question. You are a very creative thinker, and you view this as your sweet spot. In your experience, what do women have to avoid if they also want to tap into their creative space on a regular basis? I think they have to avoid worrying about others so much taking care of others. I think they have to avoid needing to feel perfect, to look perfect, to be perfect, to fit a particular mold. Um, I'm one of those people that has never fit a particular mold, never. I don't think you have to be like me to break out of your comfort zone. I think, especially if you're someone who's experienced loss, you know how that grounds you. And if you can kind of revisit your experiences, your thoughts during that time, you might find the strengths to do things that scare you. I would never, ever have done this if I had not been through this, to tell you the truth. I would have done something, but I wouldn't have just walked away from a big job and, you know, been like, that was crazy. I mean, I did crazy things to keep it going. I can't believe it. I honestly can't believe how... (laughs) wonder who that woman is. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like people can't, (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I still stick with wealth. I, you know, can always go do that honest living. You know, I'm not going to be comfortable, but at the end, but that's okay. You can do it. I have zero regrets about it. Zero. Remember that too, I guess. You won't regret it. Yeah. Yeah. Or what yeah. makes you passionate? Like what, try to remember what makes you passionate. And I, you know, kids used to make me so passionate. I used to love, love, love teaching swimming lessons when I was like 16, 17 to little kids. I used to love thinking about how can I get them to put their face in the water? How can I convince them to do the back float? 
you know, just things like that. And I used to want to open my own school. And I had forgotten all about that completely until I started feeling this pull, this urge to start something versus just to go work for a nonprofit. Wonderful. Hope that's helpful. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's tremendous wisdom. So, Kate, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Sure. Um, Maybe we've covered it a little bit, but I would say we don't need as much as we think we need. We don't. I thought I needed a lot more when I left. Even when I left GE, I thought I needed a lot more money to live. And I didn't because I didn't need to buy such so many clothes or such expensive clothes. I didn't need an expensive car. I didn't need all these other things. These other things are so much more meaningful to me and so much more fulfilling to me. And another thought just popped into my head. So not everyone can do what I did. I don't, I did not have children. I recognize, I don't know. I'm sure I could not have done it, to be honest, if I had children, but everyone can be generous. Everyone can be in that role. There's a great book out there by a woman by the name of Kathy LeMay called The Generosity Plan. And it helps everyday people realize that they have the power to be philanthropists and they are generous people and they can feel that generosity. She, she helps them develop a plan. Like what is their generosity plan to push themselves to give more and to enrich their lives that way? Uh, I think that's something that anybody could do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that leaves this, our conversation with a great challenge for all those listening and watching uh, to think about how can we all give more of ourselves in a meaningful way. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter what it is. That, <laughs> you know, that's right. There's no judgment there. Just right. take the it's first step to, to do something. To yeah. do something. Don't complain. Do something. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Do something. Do something. Kate, thank you for taking time to be with me today. Uh, I'm excited to to watch the journey as your greatness continues to unfold and move into other locations around the world. And Kate is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. <music> 